Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 139. I am joined today by my co-host, Stacy. It's at StacyPat89. Stacy, what is going on on this fine Monday night? Doing pretty well. Uh, I am uh, on vacation on the uh, in, in Orange County, California, so happy to be experiencing some nice November weather. Uh, so what are you, what are you doing there? Uh, I was in town for a wedding. My girlfriend's brother lives here visiting family. So, uh, or visiting her family, friends and stuff. So nice. Uh, good to hear. I hope, hope, how's the butt over there? Have you, have you enjoyed that yet? Um, you know, uh, <laughs> not yet. Uh, but I am meeting up with one Dallas Amico tomorrow. So, nice. uh, for better or for worse, maybe, uh, Maybe we'll find out. Uh, I had hear. some great Mexican food. So, what'd you have? Uh, I had an awesome burrito at this place in Santa Ana called Burrito Las Palma. Was it and... as good as Big Ten Burrito? Yes, <laughs> better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it here because otherwise we're gonna go into a uh, University of Michigan Ann Arbor drunken pot episode which we don't need to do. But uh, before we get started, I have to make the announcement of all announcements, uh, the one I make every single episode now. Uh, we, at The Strickland, have a Patreon now. Uh, you can find it at patreon.com slash The Strickland or on our homepage at thestrick.land. This pod right here, Pod Strickland, on Mondays will remain free. Draft Strickland is free. Alex Zach and Matt's mail.bag, which we'll be uh, releasing again this week, is free. Uh, and we will likely be adding another podcast to the lineup, which will also be free moving forward. Things that are changing. Pod Strickland on Friday with me and Prez and my mailbag with Jeremy and Drew will be on the $6 tier and above. Uh, my solo pod uh, will be on the $9 tier. But the reason to actually subscribe to that tier is not tier more of me ranting and raving. It is for exclusive weekly articles from Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best writers around in the Knicksverse. Uh, if you want even more access to us, you can join the $15, $30, $50, or $100 tiers, which include many benefits ranging from watch parties, sitting in on pod recordings, guest appearances on podcasts, and even hosting a podcast yourself where you can tell me I am a jackass. Uh, no matter what, if you are a Patreon or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. We are joined today by a very, very special guest, longtime friend of the show, an OG of the pod, Jordan Cohen, at Sports by Stats on Twitter. Jordan, what is going on? How's it going, guys? Uh, congrats on the win tonight. Thank you. Uh, it was it was definitely nice to to win a game. Um, the Knicks have been doing this thing where they have not been winning games recently, which has sucked. Um, but it was definitely good to get this this win, especially because it was against a depleted 
Sixers team, I would not say it was the most comfortable win. Uh, and there were a lot of things to be worried about, I think, within it. Um, although maybe I, I have a different outlook on what those things are. But um, before we get into that, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the Knicks game last night on Sunday night uh, against the Cavs, your Cavs. Um, the Knicks lost 126-109 uh, to the Cavs on Sunday night. I really struggled to analyze this game because like, I totally get, I I completely understand the frustrations of Knicks fans looking at that game being like weak defense, soft, like letting a team get into rhythm. And then you just get bombed out of your own arena. I completely understand that. I think that's completely valid thing to say. Um, The, where I struggle with it is like, when I watched that game, I thought after the first six or seven minutes of the game, I thought the Knicks were fairly locked in defensively. Not saying they were like standout lockdown or anything like that, but I thought they were okay. Um, and I thought the stretch where they really stretched the lead out was in the third quarter. And I thought most of those shots they hit were like shots you just got to live with. I mean, there was one stretch like Rubio hit like a couple of he had a pull up in transition and then he had a step back at one point. Uh and then and then there was another one where like Julius forced Lamar fucking Stevens into some mid range pull up with the shot clock expiring and he drains that. And it's like I don't really know what to do with all of that. Um so Stacy, I don't know. I'm gonna leave it to you. Like for me, I'm just gonna tell you, like, I watched that game. And I didn't have a huge issue with the Knicks defense. I don't think it was particularly great. I don't think it was particularly terrible either. Like I don't think I don't I didn't think the Cavs ending up with 126 was reflective of how the Knicks play defense. But I'm open to being convinced otherwise. Yeah, I mean I think um one twenty six is one twenty six. Um I don't think you can say that. So, okay, was it reflective? One hundred percent. No. Um, they. I mean, I think they. I think it's fair to say Rubio got. They gave him a lot of good looks. Uh, I don't think it was pure game plan. Um, I think there were some where it was just laziness, especially after he hit a couple. Um, but uh, but yeah, to your point, they were hitting ridiculous shots. Everyone is. Everyone actually talks about. Rubio, but Mobley finished what three or five from three or three or six, so he was hitting them from downtown too. And I mean, <laughs> um, you know, Jordan, I, I definitely want to give you a chance to talk about him because it was tough not to be impressed. And if he is hitting threes remotely at that close to that rate, he's basically unguardable. Um, he had one where he made Mitchell Robinson look absolutely foolish, and I died a little bit inside. But um, it also speaks to how quick and how freakish he is he's so good dude he's so fucking good <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculous like i i literally i was talking before you hopped out we and jordan were talking i like dude evan mobley he i i think i saw somebody i don't remember who it was so i'm not gonna take credit for it somebody was calling him slim duncan uh <laughs> a few weeks ago like like i'm not joking i don't like tim duncan to me he was the best big of his generation uh, I think he's like one of the top three big men of all time. The like, Andrea Bargnani disrespect is yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. But like I, it is very early in his career. But 
that type of praise to me is not. It's not light, yeah. It, it is not that outlandish. Like the way he plays for a guy's age is. I mean, it's yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like pretty early. We, we people were like, "Is Luca like people have Luca is the one guy who maybe if you compare him to someone like LeBron or Bird, people are like." Is it that crazy though? Right? It, maybe it is, but it feels a little bit in that kind. Like he is that level of, of player, I think, Mobley. But getting back, and I'll, I'll let you go in a second. So, um, but that's it. There were a lot of lazy closeouts. Um, even RJ Barrett, I had thought had his worst game of the season um, defensively. Uh, it wasn't that great on offense either. But um, I think part of it is just a lack of communication. I think there's a little bit of a trust issue. Uh, there were a couple of times when uh, you know the wrong person would sink, and like you know it would be Fournier who would who would tag the roller, but it's supposed to be Randall from the other side. So I don't know if that's miscommunication or guys aren't trusting. Um, but there, that, those were some issues that bothered me. Um, that said, overall, I was actually in many ways more disappointed with how the Knicks played tonight um, than they did against Cleveland. Um, but I think the real the real issues were they still really struggled with dribble penetration, especially from the starting lineup. Um, and, you know, when you have those issues uh, and you can't keep guys in front of you and you just have this drive and kick game. Yeah. You know, um, you're going to, um, you're going to, you're going to like when the team is hot, they're going to have 126 points. I think the Knicks, if they shot better, could have kept pace, but, um, but some of that, you put yourself in those bad positions. Sometimes yeah. it's going to break really bad. And then the last thing I'll say, um, I will give some credit to Tibbs. I think he tried to mix things up. He tried to, to play a little more aggressively and trap a little bit. And then, the, the I mean, it wasn't just Mobley. Jared Allen has really progressed as a short roll passer. Um, he was very impressive. It's tough for a Knicks fan to say that um, a little bit. But... Um, you know, that really, they, they had an answer for everything the Knicks threw at them. So um, I wasn't pleased with the Knicks effort, but Tibbs adjusted and they tried different things and the Cavs deserve a lot of credit. So on that note, um, Jordan, um, you know, how are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, I, so going into the season, I was very low on the Cavs because they gave Jared Allen a max contract or close to a very expensive contract. They Laurie Markkinen was getting a lot of money. And then Jay Bickerstaff was like, yeah, so you know how Laurie Markkinen was playing the five uh, before? We're going to play him as a small forward and then play with Mobley and Jared Allen. I was like, yeah, th- this team's going to suck. Like, I was like, th- this team's going to suck. And it's actually worked really well. And I think part of that is because Mobley is like, it- it's not just like the physical gifts, which are very clear. He's a really smart defender. Like, already, he knows how to play NBA defense. And that is really helpful. Like, he is not one of these guys that just stands around. Like, he's guarding perimeter guys. He's contesting shots at the perimeter at, like, a weirdly high rate. Um, And, like, he and Jared Allen know where to be on defense. And, like, I think eventually they'll get exploited. Uh, Some of the faster teams, I think, really will try to exploit that. But... Right now, that looks really good. I think something underrated in terms of defense for the Cavs, and then we'll get to the offense, which is the exciting part, but in terms of defense, Garland continues to improve defensively, um, which is really quite good uh, for a guy like that. Like, If he could become like a net average plus defender, that would be huge. Um, and so the defense has been really good, and what that's letting the Cavs do is get in transition a bit. 
And I think the Cavs are just like when the Cavs can get space, especially when they have some combination of Rubio, Garland, Mobley out there, like two out of those three, and then kind of just surround them with guys like Jared Allen, who is, uh, Stacey, as you said, like he's improved as a passer this year. Uh, actually, he was doing it a little bit last year, too, towards the end of the year. And then this year, it's really come full circle, I think, largely because he's kind of making those like, last pass or second to last pass passes before the shots. So, like he knows exactly what he has to do and guys like Garland Rubio and now honestly Mobley are running the plays a lot like the early parts of those sets. Um, and I think the offense looks really good. Now I think there will be some regression like Rubio is playing like prime Steph Curry right now. Uh, and, and that won't continue. Like it just, that won't, um, at least from shooting, and I think guys like Chetty Osman shooting like 45% from three, Dean Wade is playing really well. Like a lot of this will regress, and I think the Cavs will come back down to earth a little bit. But I, I think so. I, Shrin and I were talking about this right before the pod, but I so to be fair, I think Colin Sexton has really improved the past two years. Like that was really uh, unfortunate years, news, by the way. That was yeah, well, like so two years ago, I was thinking like. Listen, I, I think Colin Sexton may not be like much more than a Jordan Clarkson. Um and the past few years he's really improved. And it really sucks. Like a meniscus tear is gonna suck because they're saying he may not miss the full year. I, I would be surprised if he comes back before the season's over. Um maybe if they get to the playoffs he comes back, but even then it's kinda like eh. Um but I think this team may be better without Sexton. Only, and I know like that's crazy. And I don't mean that just from like a talent standpoint. Like obviously it's a downgrade, but I don't think they need his shot creation in that starting lineup. And I don't think they want to bring him off the bench for good reason. Um, and so I think they may go on a run. And I think the run may also just be in part like. A lot of these guys, like Kevin Love, Larry Markin, are good players that I think may make the team worse. Um, and I think Sexton may be the same. I also just generally want to see what Garland looks like in that starting lineup where he is really doing the majority of shot creation. Because I think Garland's at the point where it's like, okay, is this guy a third best player on a title contender? Is he better than that? Is he worse than that? I don't think he's worse than that. I think, like, Right now, he has, like, some, like, weird, like, early career, like, Dame Lillard moments. Um, so, I think he's kind of at that third best player level on a good team. And it's just to see, like, how much better he can get. So, like, I'm excited, which I feel like I say every year about the Cavs. But, like, this year, I really kind of mean it. Like, I, I don't think this is necessarily a real contender by any stretch. Or even maybe... I, I, I think this team will regress to the point where it is a borderline play-in team, but it's fun and like there's a lot of promise. Yeah, yeah. Actually, go sorry. No, no, sorry. Go ahead. I had a couple of questions. Um, so one, um, it's interesting. I, I wasn't paying as much attention to Garland on defense, but uh, his defense improved. Obviously, you know they're now throwing. Th- I mean, they th- they've been throwing at times three seven footers out there, right? Lori Marketing has been a surprise on the defensive end. So yeah, I'd be interested in you know have you know is, is there are there any coaches in particular in terms of player development 
that you think have been really helpful uh, or new additions, you know, so something that changed, or is it just maybe it's they're all the similar types of ages and they're happening to click? And two, going back to Mobley a bit, um, you know, in terms of the excitement, right? Um, you know, I, I guess we're all old enough to remember, I think, when uh, when LeBron got drafted, right? Um, is that the last time you've had this kind of excitement about a um, a Cavs, you know, young prospect? And uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, how does it compare to that? Not yeah, to say I mean, that this is not me comparing Mobley to LeBron yet, but yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I would imagine that's the most comparable for Cavs fans. Yeah, I mean, I – so to me it – so in terms of coaching, they added Sidney Lowe, who was with Detroit and I think uh, Washington. And evidently he's actually played a decent kind of um, like role in some of this defensive coaching. But I, in terms of like rookie, like I, I'm really pumped about Evan Mobley. I think Evan Mobley is a. I, I mean, it's he's a generational early. talent. Like, yeah, I, I don't want to say that word, but like I think he may be a generational talent. Like, uh, with that said, I really liked Kyrie Irving as a rookie. Like, I was incredibly high on Kyrie Irving as a rookie. Nah, that's true. And and then Kyrie. I mean, the issue Kyrie had is like. He didn't really improve much after that rookie season. Also, drugs. Right. (laughs) And and, and other things, yes. Um, I mean, the craziest thing was, like, I never thought somebody could make Kyrie Irving look good, and then Aaron Rodgers came in the picture. Um, (laughs) Well, if you listen to Jason Williams, I mean, Henry Ruggs made Aaron. Did you guys see that? That was was insane. That was, like, such a ridiculous... I don't even know what his point was. It's like, oh, Yeah. yeah, so... We should like I, I was like I'm not even sure where you're going with this. Anyway, Jordan, go on. Yeah, I mean I no, but I I think Evan Mobley is kind of that tier for me where it's just like okay, like Garland has become not that tier, but he's become somebody I'm really excited about. Um, Mobley is somebody that like after you could tell after the first like two games, this guy was the real deal. Yeah, I. I mean, is generational too strong a word? I don't really think. No, it is. I don't think so. I look, I, Stacey, you know this. I remember talking to you uh, maybe before the draft. I don't remember when, when exactly it was, but we talked around the draft, and I mentioned he. Like, I think I said to you, I think that if there's one guy in this draft who can be better than Kate Cunningham, it is Evan. It is Evan Mobley. Like he, he has that upside to me, uh, and I think. I mean, you didn't disagree with that. I think you also just said that like you thought Jalen Green had that type of upside also. I still, I, I still love Kate too. I, I mean, I think this could also be a great draft. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. This is not. This is less about Cade than it is about Evan. Like, like I, I just think Mobley is that good. And I've tweeted out a few times uh, early in the season, like Evan Mobley is the goods, and it's because Evan Mobley is actually the fucking goods, man. Like, like he is just a phenomenal player and it, and the thing is that like a lot of times when rookies are good early it's about their offense right like they're scoring well and like obviously Mobley is doing a lot of really great things on offense but what really pops to me is you know he is so spatially aware defensively for a young big guy like 
it, it, this is not normal, like how good he is on defense already. Like, he's defending perimeter players. Like, it, people like, because I've talked to people about the Cavs, and it's like, oh, yeah, but like they just sit him and Jared Allen, Twin Towers, baby. Like, no, like Mobley's like guarding, <laughs> for, Mobley is like getting out of the perimeter and defending. And he's so calm defensively and, and offensively, but like defensively, he's like really calm. Like, and you just, he doesn't get jumpy. I think he knows where to be at all times, and I think that's that spatial awareness. But like, it kind of just looks easy for him. Yeah, the, the game weird. looks slow. Like the game yeah. is. I remember. Uh, I, I remember when I still like Kristaps when he's on the Knicks. Um, one of my things with him, like his first couple of years, was like he had really big foul problems, right? And I was always like, yeah, you know, like these are like a lot of these fouls are him overreacting to like like quick snap decisions right like oh my god he just swung into this perimeter guy i have to go like block this shot right now or the world is going to end get him in the air pump fake boom you get three shots right like 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 you don't get that with mobley at all like you don't get those opportunities to like because he's just he's he's very even like it is it is all very like stable decision making from him and like Look, I thought uh, there were some there were some plays yesterday. I know Julius thought Evan got away with like a couple of elbows on him. I actually agree with him. I do think Evan got away with a couple of elbows when Julius was pressuring him. But guess what? Like he got away with them, and like from there, I mean he he took the game not just to to Randall, but like he took the game to the Knicks and like every advantage. Like here's the thing: is like I a hundred percent think that. Rubio created the advantages for him to exploit. But like once those advantages are created, it's up to you to exploit them, right? And like Mobley is already at this level where, oh my God, we had to treat we like we had to treat Rubio yesterday, literally like Steph Curry. And because of that, Rubio was able to like feed him on these traps where he's going four on three. And like it is not normal for 19-year-old big men to catch the ball in the short roll and not even have to survey the floor to know exactly where to feed the ball in the dunker spot and, like, set Jared Allen up for two. And he did that, like, three or four or five times. It was absurd to watch, especially for guys. Like, there's no... How do you... You can't defend that. And, like, the thing that, the like, for you as a Cavs fan, all Cavs fans should be excited about is... Look, Rubio isn't going to shoot. Like, he's never going to have... He's never going to have a game like that again. But, like you mentioned Darius Garland, Darius Garland is the type of guard who can draw attention like that on nights where he gets hot. And if he does, that's what will happen. And, like, if you're a Cavs fan, I don't know how you could be any more... Like, you have to be ecstatic. Like, you have to be, because... Like... Even if you thought Cade was a better talent, when you look at like the theoretical fit of Garland and Mobley, I mean that's like a match made in heaven. It really is. Like I don't think I'm exaggerating that. Like he's that good, and those those two guys both like their their skill sets complement each other perfectly. They're both so calm too. Like I mean, this was a criticism people have made of Garland basically since like. He doesn't shoot a lot, right? Like, Garland passes up open looks. 
and it's like a criticism they make, but like that is a lot because like Garland is seeing the play. Like and they the they've like done these interviews, especially in the preseason, where they're like part of the frustrating thing is that Garland is seeing the play two steps ahead of anybody else on the court. And like one of the reasons they paired him with Rubio is Rubio does the same thing. And that so like what Kazan's thought is you get a lot of Rubio Sexton minutes and a lot of Garland Sexton minutes. And it's really been mainly Garland Rubio, and it's for that reason. And I think Mobley is kind of the same way. Like, it's just it, that lineup when they have Garland, Rubio, uh, Mobley, and Allen, and then insert Marketing, Chetty, um, whoever. The, it is just like, I mean, they ran that lineup against Charlotte and just like demolished the Hornets. And, and like, I like demolished them. It's really cool. So a few years back during the process Sixers, I think they had they had a bunch of 6'10 dudes. I don't even think Bede was healthy yet, but they had like Simmons, Noel, Okafor, um, you know, like Ilyasova, um, maybe Robert. So they had a bunch of those guys. Like, it's like 6'10. Yeah. And I was like, your team is tanking no matter what. Just throw all of those dudes out there. Have them cr- close out like crazy. And no one wants to drive on them anyway because you're going to have rim protectors. Um, it's probably going to be super ugly on offense, and they'll probably get run down the court. But I, I really like to see that you know how the Cavs have boldly leaned into you know playing the two, three, even three seven footers at the same time. Um, not because I have anything. It's the same reasons I loved when small ball started to become a thing in the early two thousand. I mean, obviously there were teams that tried it, but I love those teams. You know, back in the 90s and 2000s, that would, you know, zig when everyone zagged, but did it with a plan and did it well. Um, and I like that the Cavs are executing on that. It's it's kind of cool to see. So I actually really like J.B. Bickerstaff. Like, I have always liked J.B. Bickerstaff. When everybody wanted him fired after last season. And it's like, I think this guy is, like, actually kind of, like, savantish, like, in terms of, like, zigging when everybody's zagging. Um, like he did it last year a little bit too. Like when they the Cavs had Drummond, like he basically created this like system where Drummond like would have like basically two minutes every game, and every Cavs player knew it. They were giving the ball to Drummond, and Drummond could drive it, he could post up, he could do whatever he wanted. <laughs> and like the exchange was that then after that, Drummond would do like he would play as a team teammate and like it's like a, it's like a small little thing but like something like that actually really helped for a long time and the Cavs just had a lot of injuries last year um I, I really like Jamie Bakerstaff I think he's really unique as a coach like I think he kind of like really tries to think out of the box and I think he's always been that way like to his detriment at some point but like it's working so far again I, I think there will be some regression but I think in terms of a guy like to maybe figure out a new way for a team like this that may not be as like talented top to bottom as a lot of other teams to win games. Yeah. yeah I mean, one thing, one thing I wanted to mention. Is right that before, her all about sucks? <laughs> that that <laughs> while we've been recording this pod, <laughs> Schwinning has been also uh, engaging in, in a Twitter freestyle battle with, uh, with Bob Vulgaris, famed sports gambler and former executive of, the beloved Dallas Mavericks, home of uh, my, home of the unicorn. My my favorite is when Schwinn was like, "Let me know when you get NBA employment again." 
<laughs> he deleted that tweet, by the way. The yeah, I, I, saw it. <laughs> I thought he blocked you, but no, he actually deleted it. <laughs> no, no, he, yeah, and it, he knows I'm right. I, dude, I remember these fucking tweets he had about how KP was unguardable compared to Giannis. I remember those tweets. Cause I, cause you know why I remember them? Because I was like, yeah, dude, KP is better than Jokic. This is my proof. Um, like, yeah, I, I definitely fanboyed over those tweets. Uh, that's why I remember that. So shout out to you, Hurlabob. Also, fuck you. Um, but like, dude, I, I don't know. With Mobley, it's just this guy is like, he's like got the KG skill set with all of the Tim Duncan intangible stuff, I think. Like, I don't know. He's just such a freak to me. And watching him in that game, it was like, I, I don't know. Like, there, there, I feel like there are so many Knicks fans that were like, well, you know, Randall this. Randall. And I'm like, dude, like, did Randall really play that bad of a game? I don't know. Like, I just feel like he missed shots. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. So, like, Mobley's done that. There's a few games now where, like, the guy who was his primary defender, like, would just, like, keep losing his shit about, like, like he's elbowing me. He's elbowing Like, because Mobley's, like, a shit stir. Like, that's, like, the other thing. Like, he does that shit all game long. And, like, gets away with it because he's smart. It's also because he's very scrawny right now. Right. Like, like I wonder how that'll play when he, when he, once he like puts on a little beef. But like, I, to be honest with you, like I don't care. Like, and I even tweeted this out yesterday because during the third quarter, and this happened again fucking today. This happened again today in this fucking game. Um, like in that third quarter against the Cavs yesterday, the Knicks became way more fucking interested in bitching and a fe- like they they were way more interested in in trying to get the game officiated the way they wanted it to be officiated instead of just playing the game that was in front of them. Like, like you can either bitch about the game or you can play the game that's being officiated. And the Knicks decided that they had to spend the first six minutes of the, the third quarter against Cleveland bitching about the officiating. Like, and I, I know people will take that as me saying, like, like, I don't think the Knicks' effort was bad during that period. But I think there's a difference of, like, are you driving to the rim to score, or are you driving to the rim expecting to get fouled? And that period in the third quarter, to me, felt like they were driving to the rim expecting to get fouled, not not to score. Um and that was a really big issue for me because like like there was a basically there was a possession at the start of the first half where Julius got right up into Mobley. Mobley did his elbow shit, didn't get the call, and then Julius fouled him and then bitched the ref. Whatever, move on. Didn't really affect the rest of the half. Second half, basically the same exact thing happened. And I thought it affected not I don't think it really affected Julius as much as it affected everybody. Like it affected all of them. To the point where they were just so much more focused on like, why aren't you calling this first? Why aren't you calling this first? And it's like, why are you wasting six? Like, it's one thing if it's a fifteen point game, right? It's one thing if it's one of these like you're you're ahead, you got a cushion, so like, you know, you can kind of like afford to waste a few possessions. But this it was a one point game at halftime, and the Cavs came out and they were immediately like banging down threes, getting layups, pressuring on on defense and getting turnovers. It was like, why are you focused on this shit? And that's what really drove me nuts in that game. And like, I don't know if that's a credit to Mobley or if that's just like 
I, I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, and I guess we can switch gears here a little bit because we have spent a lot of time on our next podcast just praising the ever living daylights of Evan Mobley um, and the Cavs in general. But like, I I thought uh, I, I I'm starting to feel like one of the Knicks Achilles heels is literally just uh, in game intelligence controlling games. And and Jordan, I know you're a soccer fan, so you'll understand this. Like, you've watched Manchester United this year. They don't control matches. They can't control matches, regardless of the fact that they have all of this amazing attacking talent, right? Like, there's a difference between having, like, are the Knicks an explosive offense? 100,000% yes. 100,000% yes. Can they control games for 48 minutes? They have not shown that yet. They haven't shown that at all. And consistently when they get up big and then if they get into a rut offensively, they really, really struggle to get out of it. And we saw that again tonight. Uh, I think, Stacy, you would agree with that. Um, like, I mean, to me, that third quarter performance from the Knicks was like, I mean, that's just an unacceptable performance from all the starters, not just like any people will be like, People love to just point the finger at Julius for whatever reason, or point the finger at Kemba or Fournier or whoever. But like all of these guys in that in that in that third quarter, to me, um, you know, short of like honestly, quickly when he came in, I thought all those guys were terrible in that quarter. And just like, and it's one thing if this was some one-off thing, but we have seen now multiple games where the Knicks get. 15, 20 point leads. And sure, you can tell me that, oh, you know, uh, you know, uh, these double digit leads, this is the new NBA, they don't matter that much. Sure, that's fine. But when you see this in like four or five different games, and let's be real, the Knicks have blown a double digit, du- double digit loss against Orlando, a game they lost, against Toronto, a game they lost, uh, against who else did they lose to? Uh, uh, there's. Toronto, Indiana. Did you see Indiana. Indiana. They never had a lead in that game. Uh, and then Cleveland, they didn't get a double digit lead, but they're up like nine at multiple points. They couldn't get over the hump. This like they've shown this vulnerability of like they they won't and they can't put teams away. And I think it says something about them. Um am I at the point where I think like this team can't get over the hump? No, I don't think that. But look. You're 11 games in the season. This is not like an insignificant sample size at this point. This is actually like somewhat meaningful. Um, seven and four is not bad, but it could it, it probably should be nine and two if we're being completely honest about it. And I just think that like this team exhibits a lot of bad tendencies uh, in a lot of situations where like like end of quarters, critical possessions coming out of timeouts. They don't show a lot of collective intelligence. It always seems like it ends up being somebody deciding they have to take it into their own hands. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I I think I would push back a little bit on the should be 9-2 and stuff. Um, You know, um, because you can can blame the three-point luck. Jordan, I think even you admit that there was, you know, that did favor the Cavs a little bit, um, even though in many ways they outplayed the Knicks anyway. 
No, but, Ricky Rubio's the next Steph Curry. <laughs> I think eight for nine even for Steph is, is a little bit above his mean, right? So Okay, so I hear your point, I hear your point. Uh, he's going to be better than Steph Curry. <laughs> exactly. Uh, somewhere between Steph Curry and Emmanuel quickly. Okay. Um, <laughs> all, um, but, um, no, I mean, I think the other, there's also the fact that they nearly blew a game against Chicago that they won in case anyone is going to suggest that Chicago is better than the Knicks. Um, I don't know why someone would do that. Um, they, um, you know, they, they beat Boston in double overtime. Um, so I think that should be like, I, I, I just would be careful about using that phrasing. Um, I, here's how I look at it just in the broad scheme of things. Right. I get it. There are a lot of, there's a lot of Knicks fans that are like, what did you expect? You know, like seven and four, six, like even before today, six and four, that's on pace for 48 wins. And that's true, right? Like we won tonight. So we, we won, we were six and four coming into tonight. Right. And if you had told me before the season that, that we'd be six and four, um, but it, but we would beat Cleveland and Orlando, but we'd lose to Indiana, Toronto, um, uh, Milwaukee, and um, one of Philadelphia, Boston, or Chicago, right? We was one of those. That would have been around my expectations, right? Um, I think the fact is the Knicks have won a couple of games where before the season would have been expected to be challenging. And then, um, you know, they've lost a couple of games that um, that we they would have expected to win. Um, you know, teams, the Cavs are better than expected for sure. Um, Orlando's record is not good, but they just beat the Jazz. So they're not a bad team. Um, and Toronto is always tough, right? So, uh, having said that, I think it's also which- real quick. Uh, going back to the Orlando point, Cole Anthony has gone off on multiple teams now, so yeah. this is not just like a Knicks thing. Yeah, and so as Cole Franz, Anthony looks good this year. Yeah, no, he he. I think I saw someone say Cole or would you take Cole or, or some really good guard? And um, you know, it, it there's a good there's a good case for Cole. Uh, but that whole team is playing really hard on both ends, right? And and and, and this NBA seems to have more parity. We'll see if it lasts all season, but that's certainly how it's come out of the gate. That said, it's what's most frustrating is the way the Knicks have blown games, um, because at times they've been very up and down. At times, um, you know, and especially the especially when RJ plays with the bench, but really, you know, even even the starters, the starters have moments where, you know, whether it's Fournier doing the two man game with Randall. Or um, you know RJ Barrett running pick and roll with Mitch and just seeming to be in control. They have moments where they look really unguardable, um, and then they're playing, and then they feed off that, and they're swarming on defense, getting out in transition, and then they just have stretches where, you know, I think that Boston game was really a microcosm of the season, you know. Um, so I think that's what's frustrating um, in terms of. So I mean, I guess the question I would have um, is, you know, what can be fixed and what are we going to have to live with? All right, right so. Go ahead, uh, no, no, no. I'm with you. Um, look, I'll say this. If we're gonna talk about this game. We should talk about this game. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. So. It's yeah, like no, like, no, 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 no. It's fine. I think you made a pretty good segue actually into it. Like, Kemba has to be a point guard. He's got to be a fucking point guard. That's what needs to happen. Like, like this is. I've been bitching about this. I have been talking about this endlessly. If this game had ended, if this game had ended after, you know, uh, the third quarter, I would have started this podcast by completely destroying Kemba Walker for his ineffective, ineffectual, impotent play. Impotent is probably the best way to put it, because 
He is playing right now. I tweeted this out the other day. He is playing. Like, did you guys watch Game of Thrones? Are you guys Game of Thrones fans? Yes. No. Seasons one through seven. So, Jordan. Uh, I watched season one. Loved it so much that I stopped watching because it was a nice. sinkhole. Well, you might have made the right choice actually at the end of the day. <laughs> um, but like, he is playing like somebody like 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 Ramsey Bolton clipped his nuts. That's what he's playing like. <laughs> That's what he's fucking playing like. I am so little Theon, but yeah. yeah, I am so sick and tired of watching this fucking guy come up, dribble the ball, like take fucking eight seconds to dribble the ball across half court for God knows what reason, and then immediately get across court. And as soon as there is any modicum of ball pressure, immediately swing the ball to Julius Randle and then clear out and never try to touch the ball again. I am sick of it. Act like a fucking point guard. You are a fucking point guard. Take fucking control of the offense. Tell fucking Julius when he needs to go to the fucking corner and clear out. Tell fucking Julius when it's not his time to iso at the elbow for 15 fucking seconds and dribble the ball off his dick and spin into a fucking triple team. Do anything but that. Like, like do anything, please. I am begging you. And guess what? The last fucking four and a half minutes of this game against Philly, I don't know what happened. I don't know if he went to the bench and found God or something. I don't know if he, like, you know, like I have no idea what happened. But he came back into this game, and he fucking owned it. Like, he fucking owned the game. He literally came in, took the ball, played like a point guard, controlled the offense, set up Julius for multiple good shots. And not even necessarily good shots, but you set up Julius to get the ball where he's attacking an advantage. It doesn't need to be like a direct assist thing. You can just set up Julius to attack an advantage. Also, his defense is like, I don't mind. I don't actually give a shit that much about like how bad his defense is. Because to me, it's not meaningfully worse than whatever Alfred did last year. I actually would argue it's about on par. Maybe better. I don't care. I just need his offense to not be like, like, he can't play like fucking Frank Nilakina. Don't play like Frank Nilakina. Nobody wants you to play like that. Nobody's expecting you to play like that. Play like you are Kemba Walker, a fucking multiple-time All-Star. A guy who can create his own shot. A guy who has commanded offenses. Play like that. Like, I don't think this is like some insane demand that anybody's making. And I will say this also. Uh, you know, I thought, I think... I think people are being a little bit too harsh on Julius Randle's offensive issues so far this season. I think the transition he's having to make, being the fulcrum of an offense that had, I don't know, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say deficient pieces versus being the fulcrum of an offense that has a lot of pieces. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's a, a bigger adjustment than... People want to acknowledge at times. Yeah, and are there frustrations with that? Absolutely. But like, I just I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because I do think that he like fundamentally gets it. I just think it's very hard to kind of reprogram your brain 
after having like he literally had to carry the offense last year, right? Like like he had to shoot shitty, inefficient mid range jumpers all the time last year because often that was like our best offense. Um so like I'm just willing to give him time and yeah, other than that, the Kemba point, I stand by everything I just said. I just think like I need him to fucking like consistently play with the type of edge he had at the end of this game, uh, where he was really looking to control the offense and like dime up guys and just just run sets, like just really getting guys in motion and creating advantages for for dudes. Play like Theon, not like Reek, right? So. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Play like Theon, not like Reek. Good point. I think it also may go beyond Kemba, um, but like Schwinn, the, the first point you made about like just having control, like especially like once you guys like take a lead or are trying to like not lose, I guess, is also like part of the problem that like. If Kemba's playing like crap, um, like Derrick Rose is the guy kind of doing it. like, and I think Derrick Rose has been really good for you guys since you got him, but like he isn't like what I describe as like a control player. Yeah, yeah like but... so is that part of the problem? Like there, like if Kemba's off, there's no other option. So I, I think that. there is an option, but I I'm gonna let Stacy go because I think Stacy knows exactly what the option. Yeah, and I don't I think that's the this is a the argument I made last year was that I wanted quickly to start to scrap because um, everyone would say, well, if you take Rose out of the second unit, the second unit gets screwed. Um, so um, and I, and my response was, okay, that's a good point. Um, so let quickly start. You don't need him to do the things he's bad at when you have RJ and Randall. You need a floor spacer, right? Um, but this year, I will actually, I would say, I think I'm more comfortable starting Rose. Um, one, because I actually, I think, um, I, I, I wouldn't, I think quickly has taken strides on defense, where I think you could play him next to Kemba um, and let Kemba be the, the backup point guard. The other thing that worries me a little bit with Kemba, we saw this last year, right? Where I think where Tibbs has settled down to is on nights when Kemba doesn't have it. Um, Rose just plays the starters minutes um, and, and closes, even though Kemba is nominally in the game first, but ends up, you know, with 18, 24 minutes, something like that. Right. The problem with that is that you can end up with, if Rose does, if Rose comes in with six minutes left in the game and then finishes, we saw this a lot last year, that's a lot of minutes to play consecutively and it can gas someone. Right. Uh, that is the issue with not starting Rose. So this year, um, I think that's something worth considering. I'm not giving up on Kemba. I, I you know, Ariel Pacheco, um, you know, great, obviously, tweeter. He posted some, you know, when, he, when he's concerned about something, you start to pay attention more than some of the com- more common cheddar. He was saying that it looks like Kemba's loss is burst. That may be true to some extent, but I agree with Shwini. A lot of it is not being aggressive. I think part of it might be if you listen to what Boston fans were saying last year, some of the most frustrating takes on him where that people, I think, felt like he should defer more to, to Tatum and Brown, and he jacked up a lot of shots. Um, and he might be trying to do that more. Um, you know, he may have gotten that feedback or felt like he needs to do that. But um, I think this Knicks team, I think the identity, the identity it's forming. is this. It's still forming. I think. It's still forming, but what they're best at is getting downhill and then letting Randall and RJ play off of that. 
Um, the other thing that works really well is the two-man game with, with Fournier and, and Randall. Um, but I think they were like, great tonight, by the way. I thought playing that team in a game. They they did generally have good chemistry with that. Um, but the thing is, like when RJ or Randall gets the ball um, in motion, they are devastating. When Randall gets the ball in, on the block, or he has to face up with a guy in his face, that's when things don't go as well. Um, or you know, it, it it could be that we're judging it on a higher curve. I mean, Randall was doing that last year, and it was good enough to get the Knicks to the playoffs, right? So it, it, you don't want to go too hard on, but. They should be able to rely on that less. Um, but so that my thought would be if I was to make an adjustment and I would wait till the 20 game mark, because I think Kemba, you know, once he gets more comfortable, it still should work out. And the spacing he gives you makes it worthwhile, even if he's not getting to the rim a ton, where if he just can can sometimes scramble the defense or scramble it enough, plus the transition stuff, plus the two man game with 40 or Randall, it limits the need for straight up ISO as much as it was last year. But I guess you're saying if the change needs to be made, you would prefer to do quickly in the starting lineup. I okay. I, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do a few things right now. I'm gonna issue some things I think I was wrong about because uh, we're what, 11 games in the season. Like I said, it's not an insignificant sample size, even if it's not the most significant sample size. So I'll do this. I'll in, I'll issue some things I think I was completely wrong about, and I will also say things. I think I may have been right about, or that I just strongly believe. I don't know. All right. Uh, things I was wrong about. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Kemba. Uh, he, he's got to, at some point, prove that he can play, like, 25 quality minutes together in a game. He's shown that he can put together, like, five, six-minute bursts here and there. That's about it. I don't think the guy that we're watching right now is he better than Alfred Payton? I'm not sure. Wow. I'm not yeah, sure. You hated Alfred Payton. I hated Alfred Payton. I yeah, I still strongly disagree with that. At, here's my biggest disagreement: is that even if Kemba's missing shots, defenses have to account for him. Like that in itself is a big difference. So I agree with that, but I think that he has to make defense. Like he has to make defenses account for him. Also, like. Like him just standing stand still after he swings the ball to Julius and spots up, like that's not enough. I'm sorry, it's not sure, enough. Sure, it's not enough, but it's I would say enough. that's better than Alfred Payton because Alfred Payton it, would do the same thing and the is, defender would Okay, see. fine. If you wanna if you wanna like he's at, at best he's been marginally better than Alfred Payton. That that's the reality of what we've seen of Kemba Walker this year in the Knicks. He's been marginally better than Alfred Payton. Uh, not been good enough. Not good enough. I will issue a mea culpa to the people that were like the the many many Celtics fans that flooded my mentions and told me, uh, you know, he he's not the guy. The numbers say they are. So far, they are right. So far, they are right that the numbers do not portray the right impact because he's not had the impact you'd want him to have that you would expect him to have. Um, I mean, more. Like, let's be real here. Uh, for the majority of his minutes, unless he's been on fire from three, he's been terrible, completely terrible, completely useless. Um, second thing, uh, I think the collective defensive regression is probably overstated and will improve over the course of the year. 
Uh, I don't buy that the Knicks defense is as bad as it looks right now. I think they are adjusting to new teammates and new things. And look, I, you know, I don't know. Tommy Beer must have been on fucking like heroin or something when he tweeted out that trade <laughs> earlier today. Because he literally got none of the stats right. But like, the Knicks I'm are actually. I'm stop those banner tweets. God. Yeah, thank God. Uh, but like, basically, the Knicks are actually allowing less wide open threes than they were at the start of last year. Like, over the first 10 games, they were allowing less wide open threes. Um, they're just opponents are hitting more. And this is kind of normal regression to the mean stuff. Anyway, I'm not that worried about the defense. So that's my second hot take. I don't know. I, I'm not that worried about it. I, I think it'll it'll get figured out. I thought today, I don't know what the stats will say. Maybe it'll, it'll probably show that they, they gave a bunch of wide open threes. I thought the defense today was pretty locked in. I thought they gave up threes to the guys they wanted to give threes to. And I thought they contested threes well, even if they get graded out as wide open. I thought that they did a good job of that overall. Um, Against a team that has some dynamite shooters, right? Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Even without Embiid, like these guys definitely have shooters. Uh, and then, and then the final thing I will say is I totally jumped the gun on saying RJ would be better than than Julius by the end of this year. Um, I think Julius is still figuring some stuff out, but when he does, like, I I really think Julius, if he can, if he does figure it out with the type of players. He's playing with offensively, like he he can definitely have a better offensive year than he had last year, and that's saying something. Um, so those yes. are my steaming hot takes, I guess. Okay, um, I I think you do have a point in terms of the on off stuff. Uh, I think part of that is the Knicks bench is even better than last year. Um, that uh, you know that that's how bad Kem has been. But to your point from earlier, IQ is did... better. I, let's be real. Also, like to be IQ is better than he was last year. Like I know he hasn't made shots the last couple of games, but like I, dude, his, I was point, better. Of, his yeah. point of attack defense has been fucking. Oh, he was stellar. he was stifling yeah. today. His defense has been really good this yeah. year, and that was by the way, um, that was what I thought. I thought that would translate sooner, um, because that was after his shooting. That was the part of his game I was highest on, um, out of college, um, but um. No, in terms of the the Kemba, so yeah, so with Kemba's net rating, it does look really bad. His on off, um, but I think it is worth IQ is better. He doesn't play with IQ. Rose is better. He always doesn't play with Rose. Obi Toppin is a completely different player. If he got to play more than ten minutes a game, uh, it would be even more clear to other people. Um, you know, so that 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 you know it, that's going to hurt the way Kemba looks a little bit. But going back to what you were originally saying, how much of that do you think can be fixed, or do you think it's just he just doesn't have it anymore? Um, that's a good question. I mean, he was really like he was not great in Boston last year at all. I just I have a really. I mean, hard but the thing time. is, if you look at the numbers, like he was shooting the ball still reasonably well. Uh, and they they were they were better with him on the floor, especially when he played with Tatum, right? Yeah, I mean, I think like part of that too was like they were better with him on the floor when he played with Tatum. But I don't know how much of that was, and I know like Tatum's numbers were better with Kemba, but I don't know how much of that was 
them Tatum, playing off of each other. Right. Versus like, oh, Kemba's like this net ad when he comes on. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, I think we're seeing that right now is that, look, I think Kemba has probably gotten into some interesting, like, bad habits, right? Like, he played on these talentless Hornets teams forever, where he had to be the alpha and the omega of the offense, right? Like, he had to do everything. You get into bad habits. Like, you, you don't necessarily move off the ball well. You you get what I mean. Like, you get into some of these bad habits. I think we saw in Boston him adjusting to that. But, like, it doesn't mean that he's good at any of that yet. Like, playing off the ball as a talent. Like, this is a reason why I think Steph Curry is criminally underrated as a player. I'll always say this. Because yes. I, I don't know if there's a better player in the history of basketball on and off ball. Like, he is literally elite at both of those skills. He is literally a leader, both of them. And he's it, getting better too, which is sorry, sidebar. Like Dude, I love you can scary. if you wanna if you wanna riff heavy on Steph, you're oh, always I mean, welcome on this just, This season has just been incredible. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's interesting also I feel like people so often are like, Yeah, the Warriors are better with with Draymond on the ball. Like that says something bad about Steph more than you have this player who's who was a solid offensive player, but probably, you know, but got turned into a Hall of Famer because he got to, I mean, yeah, like that's like Steph unlocked Draymond. It's very much not the other way around, you know? Um, that's, and we, we know that because we've seen Draymond without Steph. Yeah. And we've seen Steph right. without Draymond. And, um, and side note, I'm an Amos. I just, that's probably my Western Conference team this year. Um, you I know. mean, they're, aren't they like eight and one? Like they're eight and one. one. I also, they're I mean, number I, one in defense, I think. And yeah. top ten in offense. Yeah, and I mean, I, I that's like I'm a huge Steph Jordan Poole really fan improved. too. Yeah, St- Steph yeah, is God. like definitely the, one of the most underrated defensive players of all time. Because I, 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 I don't understand about Steph. Like, and I think this is largely because Durant went to the Warriors, and like it just got like this. Like, oh well, yeah, Steph. He, he got lucky that one year. Got Cavs were hurt, but like he can never be the top guy on a title team. Like. I think there's an argument. They won that... a title with him as the top <laughs> right. team. Well, no, I know, but like the, the at least give me like, a I want a Godala. <laughs> well, like at least in like Cavs circles, it was kind of like, well, like the Cavs were so injured that like Curry is really good, like amazingly good, but like that team couldn't beat LeBron with like a healthy Cavs team without Durant. And it's like they almost fucking did the year after, right? Like, the Cavs got really fucking lucky. Like, really fucking lucky. Like, Draymond gets suspended. Bogut, who is huge for them that year, gets hurt. And then LeBron decides to be like, oh, by the way, I'm the greatest athlete of all time. Here's a playoff series to show you. Um, but, like, Steph Curry's really... I even think on those KD teams, there's an argument that Steph Curry did more for that team to be able to win than KD did. Yeah, but that's something you're not allowed to talk about on real. Uh, yeah, no, look, if we're gonna talk about, it, we're gonna talk about it. <laughs> Steph Curry is better at basketball than Kevin Durant has ever been. Uh, he's had better seasons than Kevin Durant ever has. He's won championships without Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has never won a championship without without Steph Curry. Last time I checked. Also, Steph Curry does this thing to like gravity that like teams still haven't figured out. Or like, if hey, Teron Lou, Teron Lou literally said he was literally like. Yeah, KD is great, but like the guy we actually care about is Steph Curry, and our right. entire defense is catered 
to like trying to stop Steph Curry. And yeah. if you watch the 2017 finals, which like you could watch the 2018 finals, but like that was actually a joke. Like that actually was not a real final series. And three out of those four games were really close. Yeah. But like that that 2017 finals was yeah. like like yeah, it, it was close. But you could watch those games and you would literally watch them like they were like, yeah, that that's cool that that Kevin Durant is getting to go one on one against our worst defender, but we're good just trapping Steph Curry at half court and getting the ball out of his yeah. hands. Yeah, they. Uh, <laughs> you know how much Teron Lue cared about Kevin Durant when he was like, "All right, Richard Jefferson, uh, you're in your 37 year old ass is going to be guarding him." <laughs> like, no, like that whole defense. Like they had J.R. Smith and LeBron, like just like shadowing Steph the whole series. Yeah, yeah, it was nuts. It was nuts. Um. I don't know how we got into Steph, we but I'm always down, uh, I'm always down to just praise Steph. But yeah. uh, we're talking about Kemba. What was the thing we were talking about? Kemba? Yeah, Kemba's yeah. not a great off-ball player. Yeah, he's a, good well, he, he's a good shooter, but he's not good at finding space off the ball, right? Like, like that's actually a skill, and that's actually one that RJ is really good at. So even if he's not like knocking down shots, he's always finding himself available, right? Like, even Julius has a good knack for it when he's you know when he's engaged. Well, Julius has a good knack for it. His thing is apparently this year to just like actually not take any of those those good shots. Yeah. He's like really interested in pump faking. That's you know what his nickname should be? Pablo Prigioni. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I, look, this is another problem the Knicks are having right now is you you can't let bad shooting nights affect your decision making. And I'll give RJ that is that, yeah, he hasn't shot well the last two, three games from three. He doesn't let it affect his decision-making, right? Like, if he's open, if he gets it in rhythm, he shoots the fucking ball. More guys in this team need to do that. Like, more guys need to do that. Uh, IQ has been guilty of that. And I'm happy, though. I'm very happy the last couple games he's he's found his three-point three stroke again. But, like, you like they just need to have more guys that shoot the ball, and Kemba is one of those guys too. Like Kemba is like it feels like I'm watching him sometimes, and it's like he doesn't want like unless he's wide open and has to shoot the ball, he doesn't want to shoot the ball. It, it's so annoying to watch. I, I just like the Knicks. Obviously, the Knicks got a discount on him for a reason. We knew he was not like the Kemba of two years ago, but he's got to be better than this, and they have to expect him to be better than this, and like. He should be better than this. Like he still physically has the ability to be better than this. I don't know. I, I just it's very frustrating watching this team at times, especially him. Like him specifically is is very very frustrating for me to watch. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, and I, and I, I think that um, I guess for me, I think a lot more has to do with um, finding that balance, right? Um, I think if he's better on ball, I want him to attack more, right? I want him to get downhill. I don't want the wishy-washy stuff. That could at least get him to, like, good enough where, um, you know, combined with just being able to space, I think that's all we need. Um, but um, but we'll have to see. And if it doesn't improve, um, you know, the fact is the Knicks do have, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the Knicks have at least two capable point guards. We drafted one. Um, you know, there's... They are. They have a log jam in the guard position. Quentin Grimes, every time he's gotten in, has looked 
more than ready for the moment. Um, both shooting the ball, looks comfortable on offense, playing terrific. I mean, Rubio got him with one of his insane threes, <laughs> but that yeah. was a, that was terrific defense from Grimes. He actually was really good when he came in the game against us. Like, yeah, it was pretty clear. Like he was good. And a lot of and so those are um, and it's it's tough. I mean, you know, I think the easy answer for now is that Kemba will probably rest on some of the back to backs. I personally am not as low on him as Schwitty, um, or I guess you know some of the other, um, you know some of the other fans who are who have questions about him. Um, but we do have depth at guard now. Um, we Deuce McBride hasn't even played, but he's the kind of player who, whatever you think about him, um, he's the kind of player that worse Knicks teams, he's getting minutes and he's getting maybe the the Frank Milikita treatment from the fans where they would want to see more of him. Um, and then there's another thing that bugged me about tonight. This is something we have to address. Um, Obi? Yeah. Um, this is kind of the, the Obi fan in the room, I guess. That's not, that's not a very good one. Um, the, um, so against Jordan, I'd, I'd love your take on this too, because it's interesting that Rubio, you know, this is a, maybe a conspiracy theory, but he happened to have maybe one of the best games of his career against a coach who decided to overpay Jeff Teague instead of Rubio. Um, Obi got to play against the team that passed on him. Um, and he scored, you know, seven points in seven minutes. Was that it? Um, Last and night? Then, yeah, and, and, and that was and that, that was it. Um, and the Knicks were It was seven points in four minutes and then 11 and 11. Yeah. And, and he drew two shooting fouls in that seven points in four minutes. It was... The the Obi stuff is And tonight he had a similar performance and it is it's a fucking joke. I'm sorry. Like it's a fucking joke. I love Tibbs. I think Tibbs is a really good coach. I'm happy he's our coach. I, I think all of the the praise and all that shit he got for turning around the program and, and the success we had last year, it was deserved. I, I don't like these people that like it was not big market buys. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I don't like the even the but there, there's plenty of fucking Knicks fans now that are like act like he's an idiot that he's like you know like i don't like that either like the guy's a good coach all right don't get it like don't get it twisted like just because i disagree with a lot of shit he does doesn't mean i think he's a fucking moron i think there's a lot of logic to the things he does but the ob stuff quite frankly it is a fucking joke it's a fucking joke he has played this guy every fucking time he's gotten minutes in the court this year he's produced he's produced he's played his fucking heart out like today, Alec Brooks probably threw the worst transition pass he could possibly <laughs> throw to him in the history. Like, like I couldn't imagine a worse pass. He fucking dove into the fucking crowd, saved the ball. The Knicks got a IQ ended up getting a wide open three out of it. He drained it. That's like, the stuff that doesn't show. It's a cliche, but that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Yeah, he didn't get an assist for that. He didn't get anything for that. He got nothing for that. And what happened? He got fucking pulled five minutes in the fucking first half in his minutes. Like, that's unacceptable. I'm sorry. That's unacceptable. It's shitty coaching. And it's it's And it doesn't have garbage. to be Randall, by the way, right? Um, to, the, the Knicks gave up 25 rebounds to Drummond tonight. Now, he does wrap up some cheap ones. Wait, but he, got, he, got 20, he got 25 tonight? Yeah. Nice. I got it. I picked him up in my uh, waiver wire league. Uh, I'm, I'm on the waiver wire. But and obviously they struggled with the Cavs bigs last night. And the thing is this, right? I don't want to act like the 
Small ball of some silver bullet. Lord knows last night the Cavs had an answer for everything the Knicks threw at them. So maybe it doesn't work. But when a guy's playing that well, um, I think Fred Katz tweeted this out. Uh, with Obi on the floor, the Knicks play... Plus 10. Would, In nine minutes, by the way, tonight. Plus 10, yeah. Um, and, and I think he was probably maybe one of the few Knicks that was positive yesterday too. Um, but with the Knicks, when Obi's on the floor, the Knicks play at what would be the eighth fastest pace in the NBA with them off. It's 23rd. And this is a team that right now is not great in the half court that changes everything. And his defense, there's been times where his defense has looked like one of the better players on the team. His too. defense is good. I don't care. Yeah. Like his defense is literally good now. Tonight, like, it's tonight not... there were a couple of possessions. I but, but like, but so overall, like, it's been really good. Yeah. But like his issues defensively happen in ISOs. They're not like like which are things you. They're have not to effort deal with. related. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're never about like is he doing the team defense stuff? Is he executing to scheme? Is he closing out on shooters? Is he making rotations? It's never that. Yeah. It is I mean, tonight. I think, I, yeah. Tonight, and for t- example, it was like it was that Jang, or is it Georgie Jang? Is that how you, or how do you? No, pronounce? it's uh, George. George Niang. George yeah. Niang. Niang, Niang went at him, and Niang got him on a couple drives. He he uses bulk, whatever. Obi definitely needs to get stronger in his lower body, by the way. But he could do better Niang, as a boxing out too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Niang used some of his strength, got him off a spot, got some buckets. Those were the buckets they got in him, though defensively. Like they were not about. They've never in this this year especially, this year especially, they've never been about executing a scheme, rotations, effort. None of that. Like, this guy right now, look, I'm just looking at it right now. I'm looking at it right now. The Knicks, by on-off, uh, this is very, very small sample size stuff. He has the third best on-off on the team. He's got third. He plays with Rose a lot. That helps, right? And Rose, is, like, Rose must have that best on-off, right? I would imagine. I, he does. He does. But I will say this. I think, like, Obi is a driving force right now. It's like he's not getting the on like last year he got the on off stuff because he played with Rose. This year he's getting the on off stuff because he's actually contributing to it. Like he's actually playing well. And you know, like it's I don't know what it like, what does it say when at the end of the third quarter you got some foul trouble, you fucking bring Jericho Sims off the bench for a second? Before yeah, so Jericho Sims, did he actually register anything? No, he didn't. He didn't because they couldn't bring him in. Because they had to sub out somebody who they just put. But on. they did know. bring him in against Toronto, and that was frustrating to me as well. Um, yeah, because I wanted to see Obi. It's also like, like this is what drives me absolutely fucking bananas about Tibbs, is he will like he understands the league. He understands the five out stuff. He understands lineup versatility. He understands shooting the value of the three. He has talked about the stuff on the record. Like he understands all of this. He does. I know he does. The fact that he is like completely punted on Randall and Obi together as soon as he got centers back, it is one of the most frustrating things for me personally as a fan because, like, I just to me it feels like that is actually just him punting on Obi. Like, there's no other avenue to get Obi minutes on the court, right? Like, unless he's going to cut Randall's minutes, which we know he's not really going to do significantly. How the fuck else is Obi going to get on the court? And if Obi doesn't get on the court, otherwise, what the fuck are we like? And it would be different if Obi wasn't playing well, but Obi is playing well. He needs more minutes. He deserves more minutes, and he's earned more minutes. Like he's earned more minutes than he's getting right now. 
And that is completely frustrating to me. Very unacceptable. I love Tibbs. I think he's doing a completely shitty job of handling him and, to a lesser degree, Emmanuel Quigley. He pulled Emmanuel Quigley tonight after he drained two straight threes in the first half. That was fucking insane. Especially for a shooter whose confidence has been wavering, right? You'd really like to... Um, I, I applaud Tibbs for... he has To his credit, he hasn't been giving quickly quick hooks. Um, but uh, I would have liked to see him let it ride a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because Kemba played like dog shit in the first half. So why did you need to go back to that? Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. But anyway, Jordan, yeah, I mean, what, are I, what are your thoughts? You've been you're I, listening to me and Stacey scream and bitch and yell. Mostly me screaming and bitch. Yeah, so oh, I mean, I actually, thoughts. this summer when it was like Cavs are thinking about trading Callan Sexton and the Knicks for package that includes OB Toppin. I forgot what the exact – like. I think it was like the rumored package I remember was like OB, Knox, yeah. and like the 19th I mean, or 20th. If that was actually offered, I wish the Cavs had done it. I really liked OB Toppin. I liked OB Toppin. I mean, when I remember talking to you when you guys drafted him. Like, I really liked him coming out of the draft. Like, he was by no means a perfect prospect, and there were a lot of like legitimate issues. But like, he, I mean, he's really good, and he has a lot of problems. Like, when he came in against us, he was like real, like he was a problem. Like there was a few times where it was just like, well, the Cavs are going big, so Obi Toppin like is kind of good because he has the length to defend in those types of lineups, but he also can run. Um, I don't know. I I really like him. I don't. Dude, he's a yeah. crazy finisher. Like his finishing at the rim. Is I, I don't know what he shot before coming in tonight. I'll look at it right now. I'm gonna find it right now. He just hangs in the air, you know. Like he'll go in, the person goes vertical. Obi waits for them to come down, and then like scoops it around him. It's it, like his body very, control and athleticism. It's it's like watching yeah. a wide receiver or a tight end. Very, 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 very tiny sample sizes here. Before tonight's game, ninety-one point seven percent at the roof. <laughs> 91.7% of the room. Like, I'm sorry. Like, he has to play more. I don't give a fuck what his defensive deficiencies are. Because, first of all, I don't think his defensive deficiencies are that significant anymore. Correct me if I'm wrong, Stacey, but, like, I, when I watch him, I'm like, does he get bullied at times? Yes. Does he not box out well at times? Yes. I think he is so far outweighing those deficiencies right now. Like, he just has to play more. And the fact that Tibbs just completely punts on Randall OB lineups is very, very frustrating because I think those lineups could be super dynamic. And, like, the other thing tonight that really pissed me off is that he went to a bunch of lineups that only had one so bit. what's the logic behind... Like, yeah, he put, he ran, he put RJ at the four. That was yeah. He would rather play RJ at the four... Or um, then play Obi and Randall. Yeah, which is fucking insane. Not playing Obi and Randall. Yeah, and and this was yeah. So Obi and Randall is one thing. What really pissed me off, and what kind of what Schwinn was saying. So the lineup that he he brought Taj back in, and the lineup was Rose quickly, Burks, RJ, and Taj. I kind of like RJ at the four. It would be cool to try that a little bit. Um, but, but what the real question is, why does Alec Burks need to be in the game? 
Uh, Alec Burks had, you know, he had eight, you know, he had eight rebounds, uh, but or seven rebounds. Didn't shoot the ball well. So, I mean, he, he I didn't I will, like his defense say, too will, much tonight. Um, I, I, so why not put keep Obi in there? And um, and it, it, so you could have Arj if you really need to play Taj, and I don't want to. Taj had a really nice putback. He, you know, Taj is Taj. I'm not going to hate on him getting minutes, but you know, you could have had you could have had that lineup. But um, I think Burks is the one where I, I I've been hard on Burks at times where it was unwarranted. There was one game, I think the Orlando game, right? I was really hard on him, and you know, film review and, and Benji kind of showed me the light. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I was probably was was unfair to blame him for. But on a night like tonight, I would have rather seen Obi Toppin in there uh, than him. Um, and it would have been him at the four. That would not have been Obi at the three. But anything. RJ would play the three, and then you have quickly and Rose. So, Yeah. I don't know. It, I I hate... I don't know. Like I, The entire thing doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. Um, him... I mean... Here's the other thing too is like I actually I don't necessarily I don't agree with you on about Burks like I thought Burks was actually good today I think he's been good most of this year uh, I had no problem with him staying in the game my issue was like why did Rose stay in the game Rose was terrible tonight like literally like legitimately terrible yeah but that's he, he that's tough proposition I mean is it like I I don't think it is though like if you're gonna be this t- like if your entire thing as a coach is like oh I'm this fucking like tough-minded asshole who, like, demands, you know, fucking allegiance for my, you know, fucking... You get what I mean? Like, if you're this, like, drill master... I, I, drill master. I, I, I thought Rose was better than um, than Burks, and I generally liked his I process thought, for most Rose of the been, night, I and I did Rose's not defense. like Burks's... Rose defense, you, that's fair. Yeah, but I Burks thought Rose's defense night was... But Burks was better than Shake. Like Shake Milton. Like, come on. All right. I'll I'll say this I'll say this. I thought tonight was a night they needed to like everybody that like if you played defense tonight you needed to play. Like tonight tonight to me was not about who's going to score. It was about who's going to play defense. And if you're going to play defense then you get to play. Like Rose was so bad on defense tonight it was ridiculous. And I I I I have obviously this is not me saying like you know, Rose should never play or something like that. Like, I, Rose has been awesome for the Knicks, obviously. You know, like, he's been great. Like, I am happy. I love that he's still in the Knicks. Uh, but you're saying he's you know, on a bad game. I, what I'm saying is, I think he's. And I, I just want to ask Kevin Durant one thing is, don't you wish <laughs> on the <laughs> But it's like, Rose has been by far the Knicks' second best player this year. Sorry, Archie Barrett has been great. Without Rose, they're in not a, they're below five hundred at best. See, I, I guess so he's I guess, not going to get pulled. I, I guess like, this is where I just see it differently. Like I, I don't really agree with that. Like I, I think, think RJ is second. Sorry, no, 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 no. I I think Rose's defense has been really bad this year, and I think his decision making when he's gone into the paint at times has been not anywhere near as good as it was last year. Uh, I would say. RJ prior, like, you know, whatever, however you want to put it, like, Randall, RJ, those are two best players. And they have been. Um, that's not a knock on Rose at all. If you want to say Rose is better than RJ, cool. I, I 
I, I think he's just more crucial because he's yeah, really the fair. only guy who can scramble a defense. Get like RJ yeah, yeah, still yeah, yeah. kind of you'd prefer him to be coming downhill and, in motion and RJ, than and RJ, himself. And he still has issues like tonight. There were at least two or three finishes he had at the rim today where he clearly needed to finish with his right hand and he went back to his left hand. Like, yeah. very obvious stuff. And, and but, Rose is shooting, like, f- over 40% from three, so 46% from three. So, um, I mean, at, at least on offense, there's an argument. He's, he's definitely been our second-best player. I hear you in terms of the defense, but I think... I just, just thought tonight, that- tonight... It was just tonight for me. Like, tonight... His defense was so unengaged at times. That's fair. Yeah, it drove me. And he's not used. He's never been a player that I think he has the ability to turn it on. But I think just it's tough to get into that mindset of playing forty-eight minutes of engaged every possession on defense if that's just not how you wear as a player, right? So yeah, I, it, it's it's fine. Like we we get to bitch about the stuff in the moment because that's what we get to do as fans. Like it was they got the win, but like. We just have to be real. It's like there's definitely things to be concerned about, and like the Knicks are seven and four. That's great. It's awesome. I'm happy. The Cavs are seven and four, right? Like there are things to be happy about. But like if you want to fucking sit there with your head in the sand and pretend like everything is beautiful, that's I'm not gonna do that. I'm just not gonna do that because it's not the case. Like it really isn't the case. The Knicks are in a good spot. The other thing is like the East is just like super competitive this year. Like, every game actually matters. Like, it really does. I mean, how many gimme games are there in the East? Like, the Pistons games, that's about it? Is there any other tank team in the East? Um, uh, that's a, um, Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I saw Boston play the Wizards. By the, by the way, by the way, shout out to Haralabob. Haralabob was shitting on the Knicks. Um, the Knicks did go into Chicago. They're still the only team. They're the second, or they're the first team to beat Chicago in Chicago. The Knicks were, yeah, yep. And the the they, Chicago just beat Brooklyn at home. Um, so yeah, so the Knicks are the only team in the NBA, and most specifically from the five boroughs, to do that. Um, well, Philly, Philly beat them. Philly beat them in Chicago too. Yeah, yeah. Embiid, okay. Embiid. So I guess everyone in the Atlantic Division can, except um, you know. The team KD chose instead of the Knicks. Um, but in terms to answer your question, Orlando will probably tank eventually. Um, and they're three and eight. I think they're going to be like Oklahoma City last year, where they're just a pain in the ass to play, but they lose a lot of games. And then at some point, I, I wouldn't be surprised if after fifty games they um, they sit cold or something. Especially has the meniscus issues and all that from the past. Um, but also to say, okay, guys, we've won a lot of games. We've grown. Now is time to uh, to secure the picks. So, but that's really it. Those are the only two teams that I think are, and even Orlando, like I said, is a pain in the ass to play. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was going to say I saw Boston play uh, the Wizards last weekend, and and yeah, oh, yeah the Celtics like we had good seats, and the Celtics players were just like they literally looked like they all hated each other. So, I mean, they they may end up being a tank team, not by <laughs> will, but by. Uh, sheer dislike of each other, um, but yeah, no. I think th- I think there's some serious. I've never seen there. a team like d- literally look like. Well, can you describe? Can you describe a I little mean, bit? Of, like, it, they just like they weren't. There was no interaction, out in or like out of timeouts. Like they don't speak to each other. It's like just like they they kind of stand around. 
they don't like like after the game they were there was no like uniting together they all went talked to the wizards players which is like cool but like it just like there is no like interaction when the ball isn't moving and then when the game is on the only guy that talks whatsoever is al horford and everybody else just kind of like moves <laughs> and like doesn't it, it just they lit i mean it was a weird game and i think the wizards are probably playing a little over their heads right now but yeah, it, the Celtics literally looked like they hate each other. Like, it looked like when the Cavs had Isaiah Thomas for that, like, two-week stretch. And, like, the whole team was just imploding. That's what the Celtics looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of implosion, I don't know if you guys saw what happened with Jokic. Good for him, man. Good for Jokic. <laughs> he's going to get suspended, so. No, he's not. He's going to get suspended. He, he just shore-arm shivered Marquise Morris. Yeah, it's Marquise Morris, though. Who cares? Like, the NBA doesn't care about that. Uh, I don't Morris. know. This is a test of how marketable Jokic is, right? Because they're not suspending LeBron for that. But, like, but... he shouldn't be suspended for this. I'm sorry. Like, like Marquise took a fucking shot at him, and he fucking went back at him. Fuck that shit. Also, Marquise went full soccer yeah. player selling that. Yeah, he definitely did. And the fucking Heat. Fuck them! They're fucking bitches. You got the fucking entire team looks like shaking hurts, ass right? on South Beach. Fuck them. Like, uh, yeah. Okay. Tyler Hero, this guy looks like a fucking skinhead, first of all. Uh, you know, the entire team sucks. They're a bunch of fucking losers. Uh, you know, fucking Jimmy Butler sucks ass. I don't know. I can just keep saying things that don't make any sense if you want me to. Um, but I guess while we're th- so Cleveland was probably expected to be one of those teams. Um, so I, I, you know, I do have a question for Jordan. Um, one, I think that it looks like that's changed. Um, I, we'll see how much the Sexton injury might affect that. But at least with Garland and Mobley, you have to think that, um, you know, that that's kind of like the situation Charlotte's in, right? Where you know you have young players, um, you know, and you want to you, competing is good for them. Period. Um, but I'm interested, so, you know, how do you see, you know, what are your thoughts on Cleveland season to what extent, you know, have your expectations risen? Um, and then the other thing I would say is, um, I think they've made the three bigs work obviously, but it does feel like at some point they have to trade at least Allen, maybe Lowry as well. Um, and I, I actually like their strategy. I think they've, they've focused on accumulating talent, um, that they know is going to be tradable. Um, and you know, that can kind of help adjust, help the adjustment for the young players as they grow, but also be trade chips on the road. How do you see kind of all of that shaking out in terms of their, you know, whatever their big moves? Yeah, so I think the Cavs thought they were going to be a tanking team. I actually think like for all the stuff about Dan Gilbert or his son, I guess, whoever is kind of really running it at this point, like for all the talk that they wanted to win this year, I think they all knew that this they all they all believe this team is going to tank and i think kind of the reason they kept jv and altman is well like we know altman can make trades and we know jv will like get the team playing the right way and lose a lot of games so we might as well let them fall on the sword while we kind of figure out what this team is i think that was the initial plan um I think, like, last year, JB's doing a lot of stuff early on that's kind of squirrely. Like, I think, like, Laurie Markin working as a three, 
playing next to and Mobley makes this better, but like playing next to two other bigs, I just I don't think that lasts. I don't think like Kevin Love is going to be content coming off the bench and like being like super supportive Twitter teammate Kevin Love like for long because like th- this whole thing is an act. So can, <laughs> this whole thing is an act. You don't like, think the love's gonna last? Like, like this whole thing is like Kevin Love just wants to get traded. He's like, "What do you need me to do? Just get me the fuck out of here." <laughs> um, but it's <laughs> Ben Simmons like, taking notes. Well, like, like, like I got mental health know. issues, guys. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, dude, you just microaggressed the fuck out of this podcast. (laughs) My bad, my bad. Like, like Kevin Love, like, who, like, for years was, like, every time, like, he got pulled at the exact wrong second, would, like, whine about it. All of a sudden, now it's like, yeah, you know, I'm actually willing to come off the bench, and, like, I'm going to be Colin Sexton's big brother. Um, Never mind that, like, all I did was shit on him to Jason fucking Lloyd. The first year he was here. Now that things are better. Like, I, I, so I, I think, point being, like, I think this is a little bit of a house of cards. Um, but I think Mobley is, like, that type of talent. And I think Garland, the question always for me going into the season is, like, okay, is Garland, like, the third best player on the playoff team on a contender? Is he better than that? Like, what is he? Um, I, and I think so far he's looked really good, I think. Mobley's look really good. I think Allen, that contract Allen has is going to be very difficult to trade over the next year or two. So I think he's here. But yeah, I will say this, he's man. Balling. He's balling. But like, to be fair, and this isn't a criticism of Allen. He is balling. He is doing exactly what he needs to do. He does not, like, he's literally having Garland and Mobley and Rubio, like, all just like, like, just, Torch defenses, and then Allen is just capitalizing, which you need. Like you need, yeah. like that is very useful. Um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I I think they're going to be better than I thought they were going to be. I mean, I really was low on this Cavs team. Like I was really low on this Cavs team. Um, I I just I think eventually like things will collapse. I, whether it's an injury to like Garland or Mobley. Or it's a Rubio trade, or it's like I don't know. Maybe somebody fit. Well, because they they also they have some interesting um, they have some interesting pieces um, that for contenders, right? I think someone was mentioning that it's surprising Dean Wade hasn't gotten a stronger look. Rubio, I think Chetty Osmond is an interesting player. That, that, Listen, I, say I will, as well. if if um, any team wants to trade a second round pick for Chetty Osmond. I would be very happy to not have to watch him. Hey, Kevin Knox? I, 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 I think Chetty Osman, it would be actually good for a contender because, like, when LeBron was here, Chetty wasn't playing a lot. But, like, when he did play, like, Chetty hasn't evolved as a player. It's a, it's a, it's hard also for a young player to just like right. play with LeBron. It's like, yeah, dude, just well, you got to make shots but, now. But, like, that's Chetty it. Like, you would to do that. Right? Like, from an early point in his career, he knew when he was playing with LeBron, like, Chetty does actually have some pretty good knowledge of offensive spacing. Uh, He doesn't do much with it. But, like, part of that is, like, okay, who are his teammates? I I think, like, if you put him on this Lakers team, uh, that would actually really, really, really help out this Lakers team. Like, 
because I think Chetty, by nature of like his spatial knowledge, like creates space, which like this Lakers team is kind of like hmm, space could be useful. Um, <laughs> but, but 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 this Lakers team is an yeah. I I mean I liked all the hype from Russell Westbrook trade, and like actually like. I don't know. I don't think that is really a problem as much as, like, I don't know what this roster is supposed to be. It's like LeBron and friends. Well, that that was the problem, though, with the trade was it was like, like, you sacrificed all ability to shape the right. roster after that move. Because it was just like, all you had left right. was exceptions. Right. Minimal exception. Right. Mini mid-level, and that was it. And, yeah, I just, I don't know, like that. To keep it with the 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 Cavs for a second, um, I've said this for a while. Jordan, you know I've said this. I've talked to you about this. Like, I think Sexton is a really yeah. good trade chip for them. I that really meniscus tear him. makes it like, so I really, hard, really though. think like, that. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, like, yeah. If this is, I'm not saying it's because he tore his meniscus. Obviously, uh, I feel terrible. About that. that fucking sucks. Like. I would never wish that upon anybody. That that's a terrible thing. Uh, but uh, I thought this before that, like he just even if he's fully healthy, like he he's clearly to me not a guy who features on whatever the next version of a contending Cavs team is. Uh, but he's a good player. Like he's a good player, and he could he can fit in a lot of places. Like you know. I mean, you put him. I mean, we've talked I mean, not, about this, but maybe like, now, but like pre Kemba. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or I mean, like you just you put him next to a primary, like a, a non traditional primary ball handler. He'd be great, yeah. like Dallas Lakers. You know, pick, you know, you you find these teams like this. He'd be great on the teams like this. So. He's a good trade chip, but it's like they got to find the trade. They got to, and and at some point, like I do think there was a trade for them on the table this year with the Knicks. Uh, you know, I don't know what the exact price was. I have no clue. I'd be guessing on that, but I do think like that smoke wasn't out, out of nowhere. Yeah. you know, like that was real smoke. Oh no, it one hundred percent was um, real smoke. I think. I, I mean, my understanding is the Cavs had a higher. They thought they could get what amounted to like a mid to high. Like or like a late lottery type pick for Sexton, uh, not necessarily the pick by itself, but like just like a combination of assets that they value at that level, and they don't feel it. They didn't feel like they ever got that combination of assets offered. Um, do you know if they got offered? An I I, I don't. I mean, makes it's so like what it seemed like from all the reporting and from like some of the people i know that like are like with local news it the knicks had what amounted to the best like it was the knicks and the heat the Cavs thought they could throw in a bidding war and then kind of both teams were like okay well no um (laughs) but but like from every like i know jason lloyd had something about this and i think uh Kelsey Russo at the Athletic had something that like the Cavs really like they like Sexton they weren't going to give him away for something they felt like wasn't a sure thing 
and they also were willing to use him to try to get a bidding war going uh, to see what they could get. And it just kind of pittered out. And they were cool with that. Like, I, I don't think the Cavs think Sexton is the future. I, I, I think the Cavs think Sexton is a fun player and helps sell seats and is a good trade chip. And you might as well play him and Garland because the team's going to suck anyways. And those two are fun together. They don't win, but they're fun to watch play together. Um, and I think that's kind of, I agree. I think, I mean, it's hard now because like it is the constant question, like Cavs fans are asking, like some of the Cavs, like the lockdown Cavs guys were asking today is like, okay, where's the scoring come from, coming from? Like, it, it's easy to say Sexton does a lot of bad stuff, but, like, he's a leading scorer this year. And, like, it's easy to say, like, oh, well, Garland will just step it up. But, like, Garland's historically been very hesitant to do that. And, like, it's easy to say, oh, well, like, Mobley will. Well, like, he's a rookie. And so the question is, like, okay, where is that scoring coming from? Um, and I hear that, but I think in a lot of ways the rest of the team improved. Like, Sexton still has not even become a below-average defender. His defense is really bad, and it's really bad when he has to play with Garland, um, which is understandable, right? I, they're small, um, and he's not a playmaker. Steph yeah, is going I, off right now. I have it on here, yeah. So yeah. Water <laughs> is <wet>. um, <laughs> So I, I, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think... Uh, but I mean, so if the, if the, you know, at the, the point where you said the house of cards comes down, whatever it is, it seems like Garland and Mobley are the untouchables. Uh, sorry, not in the sense that right, me and Shorty right. might need it, but <laughs> as in they can't be touched in a trade. Uh, is that fair to say? And then, but if they start to lose, do you start to see, maybe not a fire sale, but, uh, you know, a pretty active Cavs oh. team and trying to oh, get okay. value for some of these guys. And then, you know, you'd want a Godfather offer probably for Allen, but, you know. Oh, I think I actually think if the Cavs could trade down now, they would do it. And an, I, I think the Cavs basically felt that they couldn't lose them for nothing, and that they may not be able to. The Cavs' entire thing for years has been like they believe in their own ability to like re-sign players right. and then. Trade and them I think that was like the whole thing here was that like, listen, if we have to have him for two years, it prevents Mobley from having to play like single like five minutes against some NBA centers. Which yeah, makes sense, by the way. Like, I know that people want to pretend that, like, Mobley can physically come into the NBA. Like, I don't know what it is with people that think that, like, 19-year-olds can just come into the NBA and, like, they're physically able to just play fucking, like, 35 minutes of, like, NBA minutes to five. But, like, I want... I'm here to tell right. people that's not a thing. That's actually not crazy. Um, it's okay to, like... Like, especially with big guys. If they can play the four... Yeah, it's fine. Exactly, it's not a big deal. Exactly, it is and not like, a big deal. I think that that was the plan, um, and I think that still is the plan because I don't think the Cavs are dumb and think they could trade four years of Allen at twenty million a year right right away. Um, so, but if they could, if they got a great offer for him, I think they do it in a heartbeat. Um, right, but it's right, like who the fuck right, is exactly? And I think the Cavs aren't like I, Kobe Altman. There's a lot of reasons. He's a good he's a good salary filler at some point for whatever star salary filler or like just two years from now if the team is kind of like you could you could use him to free up salary too. Uh so even if it's not to get the big guys, you trade him to free up some salary cap space and you get like a draft pick or whatever, a few draft picks and some filler. Um 
But, like, I think Kobe Altman knows that, right? Kobe Altman is, like, a decent long-term planner. He just isn't a great roster builder. Um, I think Rubio, if the Cavs start to struggle, they will try to get Rubio to a team for a mid-first. Uh, and with how Rubio's playing, he probably could get that. And then I think a guy like Kevin Love, if they can't trade him, no matter what, no matter if they're winning or not, if he can't get, if they can't trade him by the deadline, I think they're going to let him go. Um, by the way, the, the yeah. Warriors are just... Yeah, the other fast. guy in the Warriors that we didn't mention who's playing really well is Gary Payton, second. I mean, yes, uh, who is, whose dad had really? a great quote today, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw this. No. You guys see this quote? All right, hold on. I gotta pull it up. It's, oh, it's he, no, I saw that. Yeah, I heard the quote. It was it also is an amazing on many quote. levels. It's a li- there's a level where it's disturbing as well. But <laughs> it is. But I gotta I gotta read it because it's amazing. This is what Gary Gary Payton on his son's athleticism. This is from at the Hoop Central. He's just athletic, man. I was wondering if the mailman came around when oh, I was God. out of town. Huh? Wherever athletic ability ability came from, I'm just happy he got it. <laughs> So oh, man. there you go, Gary Payton, doubting his uh, wife. Speaking of fidelity. speaking of former uh, NBA players, uh, <laughs> so my girlfriend is a huge Washington Spirit fan, and it's like I become one. And their women's female soccer team, their their best player, the rookies, Trinity Rodman, who's Dennis Rodman's son. So we were at their playoff game yesterday, and Dennis Rodman. Her she's yeah, like a she, freak. No, no, she's incredible. Like if any, if you're into soccer at all, you should watch her because it's like she. I mean, she looks like. She could play like in like men's leagues like very easily. Um, like it's she's like th- there's nobody out there that can cyber. Anyways, her dad was there and like right below us, so we got a good view of Dennis. He is an enormous fucking human being. Like he like like he is an <laughs> enormous human being. Um, all right. I guess before we wrap up, uh, are there are there any Knicks thoughts that you wanted to? to to drop off before we get out of here, Stacey? Um, yeah, don't panic. Uh, I think Kemba's going to get better and to the point where he's substantially better than um, Elf, even if he's still a below-average point guard. Um, I would like to see more OB, um, period. Four, five, shit, if it has to be the three, it has to be the three. Uh, but uh, that needs to change. And, um, yeah, uh, and... I think one other thing I hope Knicks fans will start to notice more is not that the shots are falling. Uh, it's actually fun to watch quickly with you know better point guard instincts. Um, even though he still struggles sometimes to to get to blow by his guy and get all the way to the rim, but uh, you can start to see how you know the the benefits of all of that film and getting more comfortable. It's much more noticeable when the shot is also falling. You get that payoff and. He's um he's very much a plus player when, when that's the case. I completely agree with that. Uh, Emmanuel quickly, I'll be completely honest to you. He's my favorite player on this team. Uh, Over RJ, that's true. That's interesting. I think he's a bellwether, like he or what do you call it? Uh, I think that's the right word, right? Bellwether. It's a bellwether for harbinger. Jordan, uh, help us out. Har- harbinger is a good one. He he is the the guy. He's your I generational think that talent. If he is playing well, he says a lot <laughs> about how the team is playing. Like him and Obi, if they're a barometer, well, yeah, they're they're a good barometer for for how the team is playing. Um, I also 
uh, would just say that, like, as much as I shit on Tibbs today and on Kemba today, I understand it's early in the season. Uh, I am very, very open to them proving me wrong. Uh, I hope they do. I would love to. I would love to be wrong. Uh, I just very, very much worry about what I've seen uh, over the first few games. But, um, you know, I have been wrong before, surprisingly. Uh, the Knicks started 5-8 and eight last year, by the way. Uh, and they're 7-4 and four now. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I really do think that like this team has a chance to do something special. Uh, and I think that's what makes a lot of these early season losses more frustrating than they normally would be, uh, is because we all like really believe in the the upside and the potential of this team. But I will say this: like I think the upside and the potential of this team ultimately lies with Kemba Walker. It is about Kemba Walker. Will he take command of the offense consistently? Will he be the point guard of the Knicks need him to be consistently? These are questions to ask. But before we get out of here, I do want to say this. Julius Randle was fucking awesome tonight. He was really, really awesome tonight. Like, his defensive attention was awesome tonight. He competed at a high level. He chased guys hard around screens. Uh, was his shot selection great? Absolutely not. No. But his compete level, can you win with this guy? Yeah, he was awesome tonight. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. He made clutch shots down the stretch, too. Uh, when the Knicks needed buckets, he made buckets. It was 89-88 uh, at one point, and he made a three, I think, at that at that stage, or two. I don't know. He stretched the lead out, though. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit. He was great tonight. Uh, he is still the Knicks' best player, and he will be the Knicks', Knicks best player for a little bit. Uh, but that is our show for today. Jordan? Is there anything that you would no, like to no, plug for you? No, no, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Thank you, as always, for coming on. And uh, we will definitely have you on again, because all I know is all of us love Evan Mobley here. Uh, me, Stacy, and Prez are all Evan Mobley stands. So yes. we'll need updates later on this season. He's Stacey? the most beloved Mobley since Katino. I mean, let's not, let's not get crazy here. Katino Mobley is special. <laughs> uh, Stacy, is there anything you'd like to plug before we get out here? Yeah, plug me for starting Steph Curry in fantasy. Um, I actually almost had a little bit of a heart attack because I had to go back and make sure I had started him. But um, that, I, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I think I mentioned this before, but I'll be starting a new podcast with um, Matthew Miranda. It'll be separate from the Strickland uh, with Believe Sports. Traitor. Um, branching out, <laughs> spreading my wings. Um, I'll still obviously be on on Pod Strickland. Um, you know, at, I'm at already Swims. looking to replace some guys. Don't worry. About <laughs> um, and uh, but um, but yeah. Uh, so when that's up, definitely check it out. And um, oh, and check out. Um, Prez, Prez did a, an episode of Draft Strickland with um, with Obi Toppin's brother Jacob Toppin, which a uh, I'm that's awesome. Uh, Prez has always been um, I, I you know Prez was kind of the guy who brought me in from PNT and got me to start writing the Strickland, so I'm really happy for him. Um, he's always giving me great advice, but also it's a really cool t- 
podcast. Um, I know the Kentucky played tonight with Jacob um, against Duke. So, um, you know, if you're a Knicks fan, a draft fan, uh, you know, there's some uh, there's some interesting and then a little even a little bit of uh, shit talking about his brother. So um, highly recommend listening to that. Uh, yeah. Uh, fuck Prez. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, I don't care any of that shit. No, no, no. Those, those, it was a, it was a very good pod. Everybody should listen to it. Uh, I don't have anything personal to plug, so I'll plug a couple things. Uh, I, I'm going to plug all of Draft Strickland. Uh, Prez does a really good job with that. Uh, the Jacob Toppin interview you got is just kind of like the cherry on top of all the work he's done. Uh, so I'd recommend everybody listen to those pods uh also i i'm going to uh i'm gonna shoot my shot i think the knicks are gonna win on wednesday i think they're gonna beat the bucks and i will say this i think the knicks will be more benefited than maybe most teams are to finally having two days off between games they haven't had that this entire year I think they really need it defensively, uh, and I think that it'll it'll go a long way to helping them. Um, so I maintain that the Knicks' defense will look much better after the first quarter of the year. Uh, I think after 20 games, this defense is going to look a lot better, and it's not nearly as bad as it has looked so far this season. Uh, that is our show for today. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, I'm definitely not sober, so I appreciate you kind of hanging in there with me. Uh, but I will see you all on Friday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.